Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're here for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, brought to you today by Plexiderm. Visit triplexiderm.com. Pull up a stool. we got a lot to talk about, and none of it's good. Uh, we could mention that uh, the Bears won Thursday night, the Jets won yesterday. Jim, lots of field goals in your game, but it's the extra point that made the difference. It did. Um, and let me just observe that, uh, you know, when you hear, oh, the team scored 21 points. Oh, OK, you know, my, my sons were endlessly amused by the fact that usually I think, OK, they scored, you know, three touchdowns. No, the Jets gave up seven field goals and the Dolphins kicked or missed on an eighth. So um, that's that's a, I believe his leg was worn out by the end of the game. Um <laughs> So I felt good during the game that I immediately realized this is one more reason the Jets are going to cite for not firing Adam Gase at the end of the season. So it's it's a very mixed bag, Greg. <laughs> right. Well, our martinis are not a mixed bag. We've got two bads and a crazy here. So let's just dive right in. And we start with the Washington Post. And this time it's for what the Washington Post is actually writing. We're not actually upset with the Washington Post this time. So... The Post can uh, be glad about that for a moment. Uh, they finally got their hands on some important data and government information as it relates to the war in Afghanistan, which is now more than 18 years old. And it's not looking like we've been dealt an honest hand by our government for most of that time about what's been happening and what the outlook is. For Afghanistan, here's just a couple of excerpts. A confidential trove of government documents obtained by the Washington Post reveals that senior U.S. officials failed to tell the truth about the war in Afghanistan throughout the 18-year campaign, making rosy pronouncements they knew to be false and hiding unmistakable evidence the war had become unwinnable. Douglas Lute quoted now, a three-star Army general who served as the White House Afghan czar during both the Bush and Obama administrations, quote, we were devoid of a fundamental understanding of Afghanistan. We didn't know what we were doing, he told interviewers for the government in 2015. What are we trying to do here? We didn't have the foggiest notion of what we were undertaking. More. This deals with uh, deceiving the public. Bob Crowley, an Army colonel who served as a senior counterinsurgency advisor to the military commanders in 2013 and 14, every data point was altered to present the best possible picture. Surveys, for instance, were totally unreliable but reinforced that everything we were doing was right and we became a self-licking ice cream cone. That's quite an imagery. Uh, And finally, Jim, as you uh, talked about in the jolt today and uh, as we've talked about over the years, All sorts of money being spent uh, that didn't need to be spent. One unnamed executive with the U.S. Agency for International Development guessed that 90% of what they spent was overkill. Quote, we lost objectivity. We were given money, told to spend it, and we did without reason. So, uh, Jim, we've been lied to. Big surprise. The government does that uh, all the time. But when we see just how bleak our efforts have been in Afghanistan for 18 years now, uh, it's pretty jarring. It is. Um, by the way, if you want to find a something of a silver lining to an otherwise very bad martini, um, you can make the observation that the Washington Post obtained this information legally. They filed a Freedom of Information Act. Uh, now, it's worth noting, it's, it's a little bit of background here. The, uh, I've written about the Special Inspector General for Afghan Reconstruction um, quite a few years now. Um, they generally put out these reports that were really interesting, really detailed, and generally pretty grim about how Afghan Reconstruction was going. Uh, This includes both military spending, but also a lot of foreign aid, um, development of of trying to develop civil society, engineering, power plants, um, 
you name it, if the U.S. taxpayer is spending money in Afghanistan, uh, this inspector general had authority to investigate and dig into it and make sure it was being spent appropriately. And month out, you know, every, you know, maybe six months or so, they would come out with some new report. And generally the news was pretty bad. Um, either, you know, you point to bad contractors, you could point to, I think a lot of the blame falls at the feet of certainly the Afghan government and maybe some of the Afghan people. Um, but this is all part of a separate project that they started after a few years wanting to do something on lessons learned. And a lot of this was quotes from people that were asking people sometimes in government, sometimes they had just left government, you know, what, what do you learn the hard way? And they got some very blunt answers. And I think that None of it was technically classified, but it was collected under the assumption it would not be made public. When the Post filed its Freedom of Information Act request, um, a couple of people wanted to retroactively classify some of their comments, and some of the stuff got uh, you know, taken out with a black marker. Um, I feel a little bad for the people who are quoted in this, because they were basically told this is confidential for help shape U.S. policy, and now it's out there for the world to see. But on the other hand, this is information the American public probably deserved to know all along. Now, if you've been paying attention, you're kind of shocked to hear about the dishonesty, but you're not entirely shocked. This is something that's very common for, for almost every government of, of every administration. And it points to problems in the Bush administration, the Obama administration, continuing into the Trump administration. No government likes to admit, hey, we're doing a bad job. Hey, the war is not going the way we wanted it to. Hey, we're rebuilding stuff, but the Taliban or other factions and warlords are blowing the stuff up as fast as we can. Ideally, this would force a much more serious conversation about what we want to do in Afghanistan, what we can realistically expect to do in Afghanistan, and whether it is worth continuing a U.S. military presence in that country beyond the 18 years that it has been and the next couple of years we're set for. I go back and forth on this. On the one hand, this is an indictment of three consecutive administrations and the Pentagon for not leveling with the American people and not being honest about the kind of problems we were facing and constantly promising we were, you know, within the coming year, we're going to turn the corner and it's going to be really different. Most years, year to year, you really didn't see that much improvement. On the other hand, I have no illusions that if the United States leaves Afghanistan, things will get worse. You will see more more young girls with acid thrown in their faces. You will see the Taliban return to power. And it very well could become an incubator once again for Islamist terror. And we'll end up right back where we started with uh, on September 10th, 2011, 2001. So, you know, I... It is a bad situation. I hope this gets the serious discussion that it deserves. Uh, based on what we've seen in the past Democratic presidential debates and what we've seen from the president on this, I'm not expecting it. Uh, and we're going to continue to muddle through, um, never quite committing to what kind of policy we want to have in Afghanistan. Jim, there's obviously been uh, countless hearings on this over the past 18 years, and I don't want to tie this directly to impeachment. But one of the things we heard during the shift hearings, depending on which side of the impeachment debate people were on, is, well, this person's from the government. Uh, they've had decades of public service. Uh, they're completely trustworthy. They have uh, an honorable pedigree. And a lot of people who serve in government, that's very, very true of. But just because you do serve doesn't mean you're not feeding the country a line and even feeding lawmakers a line. I'm not saying that was the case. Uh, I'll let everybody make up their own decision on impeachment. But uh, we've been hearing this uh, on Afghanistan uh, from, like you said, the past three presidents. And now it's turning out that it's uh, very, very different than what we were told. So, so uh, uh, scrutiny uh, definitely matters just because somebody's been around for a long time and has been on that job for a long time, like the the one who was the czar for both Bush and Obama, uh, finally admitting that he had no idea what was going on. Yeah. And one other thing worth noting in here was that one of the biggest problems that they describe in this report is how much money was spent on these generally civilian programs attempting to cultivate civil society 
Um, and this is everything from roads and bridges to uh, power plants to uh, trying to stop the uh, the poppy production to to all across the board. Everything we were trying to be you know, pre-Taliban, the country was a disaster. The Taliban drove you know the country even worse into the ground. And it's worth noting if you go back and read the history of Afghanistan, with a lot of Afghans greeted the Taliban as, oh, finally. We're going to have some law and order in here, and it's not going to be quite so corrupt. I mean, there was a time when Afghans really believed the Taliban were going to be the good guys. So we went into probably the worst possible situation in the world. There's a part of me that says we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves, not just the experiences of the Soviets and the British Empire and everybody else who's gone into Afghanistan. All the different times it's been called the graveyard of empires. We were trying to build something in a, you know, we were trying to plant a crop in a soil that was just never going to meant to grow there. And by the way, I mean that literally in the case of soybeans in one of our projects over there. But the, the idea was that we were just sending so much money over there that there really wasn't any good, suitable way to spend it and build it in a way. It was inevitably going to end up with corruption. You are inevitably going to end up with fraud when waste and mismanagement. More spending is not always the solution you think it is. And America's had a very painful lesson with this here in Afghanistan. All right, Jim, let's talk about something uh, a little more pleasant, and that's that uh, the holidays are upon us. Uh, so everyone's uh, getting everything together. Uh, they're buying gifts. They're making travel plans, probably already have if you're going to travel. Uh, and family and friends are going to be gathering together at parties and other events and so pictures are going to be taken and videos are going to be taken and you'll see lots of laughs and smiles and also under eye bags and wrinkles and crow's feet yeah unfortunately that's part of getting older uh those are telltale signs of aging and nobody wants those in their holiday cards but now the good news they can be gone in just minutes not talking about some risky expensive surgery Literally gone in minutes, though. It's called Plexiderm, a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags in just minutes. It's exactly what you need to get through the holiday season and way beyond. Now you won't have to imagine anymore. You will look like yourself just 10 years younger. Plexiderm can give you the confidence you need to face that judgmental family member. We all have one. You know, Aunt Edna, Uncle Bernie, not necessarily Bernie Sanders, but they'd be really bad, wouldn't they? I'm starting to see some wrinkles. <laughs> you know, that would be kind of frustrating to deal with around your, your holiday table. Um, the best part is Plexiderm goes on clear, so nobody will know you're using it unless you tell them. Yeah, just think about Clark Griswold's in-laws on Christmas vacation ah. when he finally gets all the lights up and his father-in-law's like, the little lights aren't twinkling, Clark. Yeah, that's the kind you're talking about here. Get Plexiderm's holiday promotion. Go to TryPlexiderm.com and use our code MARTINI for 50% off plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code MARTINI. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit TryPlexiderm.com today and use the code MARTINI at checkout. That's triplexiderm.com. All right, Jim, let's go to our second bad martini now. And this actually broke slightly before we started recording on Friday, but we didn't know a lot of the details and we thought it was premature to get into it. But that's the, the shooting at the Naval Air Station at Pensacola, Florida. Now we know a lot of the details. Uh, three sailors dead, a 21-year-old Saudi Arabian Air Force officer was the shooter. He is dead as a result of the exchange of, of gunfire. Uh, the, the three that uh, were killed are heroes because they charged the shooter and made sure there weren't a lot more deaths. And a lot of the officials say, literally, if they hadn't done that, there would have been a much, much worse situation. 
Uh, and now there's a uh, investigation going on, and the FBI is treating it as an act of terror. The CNN story I'm looking at is uh, acting like it's kind of a tenuous theory that this is an act of terrorism. But if you go deeper in the story, you find out that the Twitter account uh, linked to the shooter uh, just before the attack uh, declared hate for Americans because of their crimes against Muslim. Also repurposing words used by bin Laden and Anwar al-Awlaki. There's also been reports that he had friends over to show videos of mass shootings from times past here in the United States and perhaps elsewhere. Uh, and uh, there's also believed to be uh, other writings about just how radicalized this person was. So I'm not sure why there's all this mystery as to whether or not it should be a terrorism investigation. But, uh, Jim, you've got a lot of folks talking about now how many Air Force or uh, military people from Saudi Arabia should we be training? Does the vetting of that need to be tougher? Lots of questions going on here. But uh, in the end, we've got uh, a terrorist attack, it appears, uh, at Pensacola and three heroes worth remembering. Yeah, this is another really, really grim bit of news. When something like this happens, the, the, the instinctive response, particularly in places like Twitter, is to kind of be, you know, oh, boy, when's the last time a Saudi flight student caused, from Florida caused problems, you know? But here's the thing. We know the military takes this stuff seriously. For obvious reasons, the military does not want to let any jihadist sleeper agent to get through the filter. Uh, And obviously, we've had quite a few Saudi pilots come through all these training programs in the many years since 9-11. This is the first time it's happened like this. um, And and we're kind of left scratching our heads and saying, what did they miss? How did somebody who clearly had, was this person always a jihadist and entered the Saudi Air Force secretly plotting to do something like this? Did they start out? Uh, loyal to Saudi Arabia and, you know, reasonably friendly towards the United States and then drifted towards jihadism. Um, There's still a lot of investigative work to do. I've seen some people saying, well, clearly we need to shut down all of our cooperation with the Saudi military. That may be premature. In fact, it probably is premature, but it's very understandable that we would want to take a, you know, a second look at everyone uh, involved in that because now this is a a potential threat that we thought we had had a sufficient uh, amount of safeguards to prevent. And clearly we didn't. You know, there are other venues we've kind of said, well, we, uh, you know, the question of whether we should be as close to the Saudi government as we are, whether they really are a friend to us in the region and whether we really can count on them in ways we want to and whether they become too autocratic and too dangerous when you think of the things like the Khashoggi killing. But all in all, you'd hate to think that one, you know, jihadist sleeper agent could manage to undo the U.S.-Saudi relationship that's been built up over decades. So uh, grim news. I, the only thing I'm going to say, is, though, is that I, my, it's very tough to believe that there was anything sloppy or lackadaisical or insufficient in the U.S. military's review of the people who are applying for this sort of thing. Um, they don't take this stuff lightly. They don't blithely dismiss it. And I don't think that anybody would give any. I, I'll be surprised if there's anything that indicated, oh, we saw some reason to suspect this guy, but we let him through anyway out of political pressure or something like that. We'll see what the investigation shows. But I think this indicates that even, you know, the best safeguards are never going to be very difficult to have 100 percent efficiency. And uh, this guy is going to largely achieve what he wanted by attempting to undo whatever remaining relationship there is between the United States and Saudi Arabia. Absolutely horrible. And uh, three families are, are grieving deeply right before the holidays. We should uh, say their names, uh, certainly. There's Airman Mohammed Sameh Haitham, hope I'm saying that right, 19 of St. Petersburg. Airman Apprentice Cameron Scott Walters, 21 of Richmond Hill, Georgia. And Ensign Joshua Caleb Watson, 23 from Enterprise, Alabama. Three very promising lives. Cut short, uh, but they saved many, many others. 
All right, on to our crazy martini now, Jim. And uh, impeachment proceedings are back underway today in the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, the reports are being discussed uh, from both the Republican and Democratic perspectives. Uh, the Democratic counsel here for the House Judiciary Committee, we had just gotten used to the counsels uh, for the Intelligence Committee, but now it's the uh, Judiciary's uh, counsel's turn. The Democratic counsel for the House Judiciary Committee is a guy named Barry Burke. Uh, he was giving his opening statement today and did what uh, makes everyone on Twitter super happy, is talking about how their young child asked a specially prescient question. Before I had the great honor of being a counsel for this committee, my young son asked me a question. He said, Dad, does the president have to be a good person? Like many questions by young children, it had a certain clarity, but it was hard to answer. I said, son, it is not a requirement that the president be a good person, but that is the hope. And it is not a requirement that the president be a good person. That is not why we are here today. That is not the issue. Jim, I've got young kids. You've got fairly young kids who used to be younger kids. Have uh, I've never gotten a question similar to that, and I'm guessing you haven't either. Yeah, look, whenever you hear these kind of anecdotes, there's about a 99.9% chance that the story's BS. Uh, we all have kids. The kids aren't that interested in all this kind of stuff. Maybe you'll get some you know, strange questions in the vein of, you know, what are you working on, Daddy? Or is that the president? And what does he do? And why do the men in green on the TV make daddy so angry? <laughs> Why is he always throwing things and screaming? What does that word starting with F mean? All the kind of stuff that your kid's going to ask. Uh, I'm going to make an observation. So we had our holiday party this weekend. Greg was there and his lovely bride and his lovely, adorable daughters. And I, I, I have a hard time imagining your daughters would ever ask anything political, Greg. Never. You may have seen the teeming brood that was spilling things on the new couches downstairs, Greg. <laughs> and uh, among them, I found out that our kids, including some of the sons of our friends and all that stuff, apparently on schoolyards, there's a fun game. It's called Protect the President, in which someone holds their finger to their ear like they have an earpiece and yells out, protect the president, as if they're Secret Service agents. So they pick one random kid and they all jump on him. <laughs> As if they're trying to protect him from an assassin. But mostly it's an excuse to jump on somebody else. And uh, that's, you know. So on the one hand, yes. Do I have some really DC kids in my house and in my in my orbit? Yeah. On the other hand, have they ever asked a detailed question about impeachment? No. Although maybe my older son eventually started yelling out, impeach the president and had the same tackling game. But anyway, that's, that's neither here nor there. The point is, at no point have I ever said, my son just asked the most heartwarming and insightful question of all, except, Greg, the one time you said, you know, you look back to the Clinton years <laughs> and weren't Democrats saying back. Of course, they never said this. Kids don't care about this stuff. Nobody believes it. Stop trying to, you know, wisdom out of the mouths of babes. You know, let your kids be kids. Because then if you said, you know, that's BS or your child asked a stupid question, how could you attack a child? Well, look, you chose to bring your child into this intensely angry political debate. So leave, kids, leave, you know, folks, leave your kids out of this. And no, we don't believe that your child in the high chair cited the Federalist <laughs> Papers and argued about impeachment or anything like that. Sorry, didn't happen. There's only one way this possibly happened, and that's if uh, the dad here, Barry Burke, or, or other people who are on the kid a lot are just like, look, Timmy, that's a really, really bad man. That president is terrible. He's, he's a crook. And then the kid finally goes, 
can a bad person be president? And then I'm like, oh, I've got my open. I've got my open. There you for, go. But yeah. also that question of like, you could read this, Greg, as if the child is a little more, uh, if not cynical, maybe realistic. Well, dad, the alternative was Hillary. <laughs> I mean, you could write, if I were writing for Saturday Night Live, you could have that kind of precocious look, Dad. You know, if, maybe if your party hadn't nominated somebody so thoroughly unlikable and a crook, where were the reinforcements at Benghazi, Dad? But what about her emails, Dad? Anyway, uh, it was locker room talk, Dad. Anyway, uh, <laughs> just being, keep your kids out of politics, folks. And, you know, here's the, if you have to make up conversations, you know, if you, if you have to cite imaginary conversations with your kid to make your point, it's probably not a particularly strong argument. No. And after that uh, diatribe about the Hillary Clinton campaign, he put his plastic spoon back into his mushy Cheerios and uh, <laughs> made barking that, noises or something, you know. I want to be a dinosaur when I grow up. <laughs> Leave the kids out of it. Oh, Jim, happy Monday. Maybe we'll actually have a good martini tomorrow. Fingers crossed. Oh, thank God it's Friday, Greg. <laughs> Tim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thank you for being with us today. We'll try to have happier news for you tomorrow. No promises, though. In the meantime, go to triplexiderm.com and get that great 50% off plus an additional $10 off deal. Triplexiderm.com. Subscribe to the podcast. Please leave us a nice review if you enjoy us. And tune in again on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.